0: You know March Madness, don't you? Uh, some of you aren't sports fans at all, and if you've missed it, you've missed it. I think that March Madness is like the greatest sporting, events, sporting event um, and sequence that you can ever enjoy. It's college basketball playoffs, is what it is, if you don't know. And we call it March Madness because it starts out with 64 teams that are selected by who knows who, and... And they play down to two teams who play for the championship. And whoever wins that game uh, is crowned the king of college basketball for that spring. And it's such an important game. They play it every year. And um, so anyway, March Madness is just a lot of fun. In fact, I've often thought that if I ever break my leg or my neck or have major surgery, it needs to happen in March (laughs) because it's going to take me all month to get well. And uh, I just think on my bucket list... um, I would love to just take an entire month of March and do nothing but eat Doritos and drink Mountain Dew and watch March Madness and (laughs) and just kind of grunt, you know. It's just a great. There's nothing like this college basketball. So, do you know that West Virginia University Mountaineers um, they did pretty well at the beginning of the tournament, and it's always a pleasure to see them punch Maryland in the mouth, figuratively speaking. And they did a good job with that. And they won the first couple rounds. And And uh, guess who they end up playing next? They end up playing Kentucky Wildcats. And if you're up on this, you know that there's just been no team in college basketball for years like the Kentucky Wildcats were this year. In fact, just the other day, earlier this week, I believe it was, seven of their players um, are leaving college early to join the NBA, go professional. That's how good they are. And they were something like 38 and nothing um, when they got to the place where they were going to play the West Virginia Mountaineers, and don't you know, one of our young men in the Mountaineer camp, one of our ball players, ran at the mouth. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do you ever talk a big game? You ever think I got it going? You ever think that I've really got it together, and you start to talk about it? You haven't lived it out yet. You're just talking it. Well, sure enough, when they got on the court, um, the Mountaineers crumbled. Um, they looked like a, a JV high school team against the Wildcats. They got just uh, like a record-setting loss. They couldn't, they couldn't back up their talk. As we turn to Matthew chapter 7, I want you to have that concept in mind today as we re-enter the Sermon on the Mount and our Lord's teaching Basically what Jesus is talking about today is is it's time to stop talking and it's time to live it out. Pretty much anybody can talk game. And the heart of the matter is can you live it out? Can you support it? Can you show it in your life? As though life were a court, can you play that game? As you well know, Jesus has been teaching about the essence of following Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live patterning your life after Christ? What does it mean to to live according to the rules of His kingdom? If He's the King of, of His kingdom and He's laid down the rules for His kingdom, what does that look like? And that's that's in essence what the Sermon on the Mount is. We've enjoyed breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, and we've been been trying to process it. And our text today is really just two verses, and, and by almost all counts, Bible students who have studied the Sermon on the Mount in depth agree that we're at a pivotal point in this sermon in that our Lord has essentially wrapped up his teaching and he's now entered concluding thoughts. This is the beginning of the conclusion of his message. And so as we break down and try to understand and receive what our text has to say today, number one is simply that, that Christ is concluding his sermon. Number one, as you as you get a grip on these two verses, it's important to understand that Christ is concluding his sermon. Let's read the verses. We're coming right off of that, that golden rule verse that we talked about a few weeks ago. Verse 12 of Matthew 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what he's doing is he's summing up his teaching. You want to boil it down into one pithy proverb? Here it is live it out, whatever you would have others do unto you, you do unto them, and you fulfill the law and the prophets. And we broke that down and looked at it in some depth. He then begins what we consider the the concluding remarks of this sermon. He's been teaching, teaching, teaching. It's not been easy teaching. It's been hard teaching. It's shaken us up a little bit. And now he says, Enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Interesting. You might still be using your NIV. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, ESV. Um, In the NIV, it's instead of using the word, the way, it uses the word, road. And so we have a picture here um, of a a narrow gate, a narrow road or a narrow way, a wide accommodating gate and a wide accommodating road. All right. It is definitely um, a word of contrast that we see here. The second thing we want to take in as we uh, try to understand what Jesus is teaching here. Okay, so this is his concluding remarks. And basically what he's saying now is you've heard what I've had to say. Now it's time to go live it. And so secondly, Christ is calling for change. Christ is calling for change. His teaching demands response. You're not supposed to just talk about it. You're not supposed to just talk about how you're going to do this. You're supposed to do it. And it's not easy teaching. In fact, let's just flip back a minute. And let's just remind ourselves, starting with the Beatitudes, where in verse 2 of chapter 5, He opened His mouth and He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many truly humble people are there? How do you be humble? I'm so full of myself. And, And He goes on to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn what? What is grieving you? Well, my sinfulness my unworthiness you know i'm just trying to care sometimes i don't care that i don't care and jesus is calling me to be humble and he's calling me to mourn over the brokenness of my sinfulness he's calling me to be meek and to hunger and thirst for righteousness and 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 he's talking about being a peacemaker and i don't know if i want to make peace with those guys they're ugly they're mean blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake i don't want to be persecuted leave me alone This is hard teaching. It all just goes contrary to the flesh. It is all just opposite of what I am naturally as a human being. Somewhere along the line as he continues to teach, bless those who revile you. Are you kidding me? Bless those who persecute you and who do all kinds of evil against you. You give me a break. And then there's the part where he says there, and this is verse 11, and he says, and who do evil against you, and who speak falsely about you. All right, if it's one thing if I do it and I deserve it. It's another thing if you're just making it up. I'm in your face. I don't like this kind of teaching. What is Jesus talking about? And it just builds and it goes on. You're the salt of the earth. You know, I don't want to be the salt of the earth. I just want to live my own life. I don't want to pay attention to the rest of the world. It overwhelms me. No, you have a responsibility here. So then he goes on and he talks about... I haven't come to abolish the law, but to show you how to live it out. And I've fulfilled it for you. He goes into that section, starting with verse 21, where he, where he has these, these statements, where he talks about what you understand the law to be, you know, you have heard it said of old, you shall not do murder. And then he raises the bar for all of us. And he says, I'm telling you that if you just hate your brother or really angry with him, you're, you're guilty of committing murder. Wait a minute. This is hard teaching. I'm I'm still trying to process all this. And Jesus has effectively shaken up His audience. He has effectively confronted what we believe. And and one of the things that He has done is the master teacher and a, a most effective teacher will make just a few statements. And in those statements, he will force you to evaluate your whole worldview. He will force you to process, well, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I live the way I live? And what he's saying, how does that fit? And and, and I don't know if it comes together just, just right. And again, more about loving my enemies and not retaliating against. Well, come on, man, this, it's not fair. No, this is the whole Jesus way. The whole Jesus way is not my way. And that's what we're supposed to get out of it. Somewhere along the line in the Sermon on the Mount, it's supposed to occur to us, I can't do this. And when he says, you're to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, who are supposedly the most righteous people that have ever lived, and and you have to surpass their righteousness or you cannot enter my kingdom, where do I get a righteousness like that? And, and it's supposed to drive us to Christ. How do I love my enemies? He, verse 43, then in chapter 6, I, am supposed to, to be authentic and, and I'm not supposed to be duplicitous and hypocritical in how I pray, how I give, how I fast. I'm supposed to lay up treasures in heaven, but I really like laying up treasures on earth. Everything in me is screaming to preserve now and, and to enjoy the things of this world. And how do I find the balance of laying up treasure in heaven and, and all of this just challenges me, and Christ is calling for me to change he 's calling me for to to go now and to live it out you don't just do 'll just talk about this we 've had a great time gathered here on the mountainside it 's been a wonderful time of teaching you 're not supposed to walk away from this message and, and just say, "Wow, I really enjoyed that teaching. It was fantastic I mean it was just the greatest teaching and it, No, you're you're supposed to be all shaken up about this. And so he's calling for change. He's calling for a new mindset. He's calling for a new kind of heart attitude. He's calling for a whole new kind of behavior. That if you call yourself a Christian, a little Christ, you call yourself a follower of Christ, you don't just talk game. You live game. You play it and it's authentic, and you live it out, and it's time to stop talking, it's time to stop just listening, it's time to stop just pondering and thinking and saying, I oughta, maybe should, and it's time to start doing it and living it out. So there's the challenge. There's the the call for change. I want you to see in our text then, as our eyes go back to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, so we're understanding that this is the conclusion of the sermon, Okay, we've heard it. Now we have to live it. He's calling for change. It's going to demand change. We don't like change that much. But he's, he's also, Christ number three, is challenging his audience. I've already used that word a few times. He's challenging us because it cuts across the grain. And I want you to see that the challenge falls basically in two categories. Notice what he says. We've got one road that leads to destruction And we got another road that's just hard, he says. It's difficult. So the challenge is this. He says, I'm kind of warning you. I'm warning you that as you live, you're either going to live on the wide road and you're going to end up in destruction, or I'm warning you if you're going to live on the narrow road, you're going to live in this kingdom way of living, you're going to live out my claims. It's a very difficult way to live. It's described as narrow. Christ is challenging his audience with this. I want you to see that Christ is also... Number four, contrasting two ways. Christ is contrasting two ways. This is another teaching technique by Jesus, by the way. We've seen him do things like take the, the lesser and argue towards the bigger, or take the bigger and lesser to the, argue to the lesser. An example of that, remember, was if, if he feeds the birds of the air, that's the lesser. Alright. Then how surely he will feed you, his children. How much more does he care about you than he cares about the birds? So if he cares about this little thing, then surely he cares about the big thing. Right? And, and you can, we understand that. We do it all the time in our lives. Okay. If I take care of my dog and I feed my dog, how much more will I feed my kids? So going from lesser to greater or greater to lesser. And Jesus is the master teacher. You're going to notice now as he concludes this sermon that he clicks into this concept of comparison of twos. Let's read our text again. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So let's just identify the pairs or the twos. He begins with two gates, right? A wide gate and a narrow gate. So there's two gates he's talking about. And these gates lead to paths, right? Or roads or ways. There's the narrow way or narrow road. And there's the wide way or the wide roads. So we got narrow gate, wide gate, narrow road, wide road. He defines those roads in two different ways. The narrow road is a hard road. The wide road is an easy road. There's two different destinations that he's talking about. There's the destination of destruction, There's the destination of of life. There's two different groups of people. There's the there's many on the wide road. There's few. So you have these contrasts and you have these pairs. You're going to notice that he's going to continue with that in our future text. He's going to talk about two kinds of trees beginning with verse 15. He's going to talk about two different kinds of fruit. He's going to talk about two different kinds of people. He's going to talk about two different kinds of builders. He's going to talk about two different kinds of foundations. A firm foundation and a weak foundation. A rock foundation and a sand foundation. He's going to talk about the two different kinds of houses that people can build on that foundation. A, a house that is secure and has integrity. Or a house that is insecure and it's going to break down. And so he's, from here to the end of the chapter, he's, he's using these comparisons, these twos. We're supposed to get that. We're supposed to look. And we're supposed to, to look at that contrast. And we're supposed to ponder that. So there's this and there's this. Where am I? And so Christ is contrasting two ways. We could identify our two ways as we look at this contrast in his concluding remarks. He's calling us for change. He's challenging the audience to live it, not just talk it. And now there's this clarity of contrasting ways. And we see, first of all, that we have the delayed reward way. That's the hard path, that's the narrow path. All right? It's narrow. The second one is the immediate gratification way. So two contrasting ways. The narrow road, that means that it's going to be hard, it's going to hurt, it's not easy, it's uncomfortable, it's not accommodating, I don't like it all the time, I really struggle, I fight the fight, but it leads to life. And it's a delayed gratification road. Then there's the wide, accommodating, everybody's welcome, everybody's the same, everybody's worth listening to. Whatever you think goes, come and live and enjoy it because it's the short-term pleasure. So you better milk the short-term pleasure for all you're worth. Because at the end, you're going to drop off the edge. The road goes to the edge of a cliff and you drop off into a lifeless eternity of torment And it is the way of destruction it's described. I think it's important for us to recognize that in Christ's teaching here, that he's comparing a narrow way versus a a wide gate at two different levels. I think it applies. The first would be salvation. Jesus is talking about following him and entering. He's talking about the gate. He's talking about this narrow gate. This is how you get in. It's the way in, and it's a narrow gate. And then when you get on that way, it's a narrow way, and, and versus a wide road or a broad road that leads to destruction. And I think that it's accurate to say that he's talking about an unaccommodating gospel. He's talking about an exclusive, unaccommodating, narrow gospel. And in fact, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, that then becomes one of the identifying qualities of who you are. Who are you in Christ? I'm, I'm narrow. I'm just narrow. Oh, wait a minute. I don't really like that. People really don't like it when it comes to salvation. People think that you're really arrogant if you, if you believe in Christ's unaccommodating gospel. See, the wide road has a wide gate. It's accommodating. You don't have to lay anything down. You don't have to take anything off your baggage cart. You can have all the baggage on your cart you want. You can be riding the wrong horse and you can get in that gate. Everybody's welcome on this wide gate. Everything goes and, oh man, it's a great road. And you can't help but infer and imply that they're looking over at the narrow road wondering what is wrong with those people. As they struggle down the narrow road, it's a difficult road, it's a hard way. Jesus used the word, it's hard, it's a hard road. Well, he, he is talking about directly about his teaching as we've already talked about. He's talking directly about chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. If you're going to come and follow me, you're going to enter through this narrow gate that I've just presented to you, and it's a narrow way of living, and, and it's hard This is hard, living like this. Why is it hard? Because I have to deny the flesh and and I have to put aside my agenda and I have to elevate Christ and He's in first place and I'm not the king of my own life and I, I really like being the king of my own life. But back to our point about salvation. I think that it absolutely is accurate to say here that most people, right? Many people, he uses the contrast, many people versus few people and he's defining down the reality that that you basically have in two categories all people on the globe in the universe who fall under one, one of two categories you're either a wide road person or you're a narrow road person and the wide road person they can make up whatever they want to make up and believe they can believe anything and they're they're basically this is the accommodating road of all world religions when it comes to salvation and let's define the word religion. Religion is, is me or mankind or humankind doing something to try to get to God to please himself, please him enough for salvation. And you see those guys in the Philippines in the news this week last week who were nailing themselves to the cross? They were in some villages in the Philippines. They were so interacting and they've done that they do this annually that these guys Offer themselves to be nailed to the cross. Why do they do that? What do you say? It makes me feel really close to Christ. I say, "It hurts, man. Why do you do that? What do you think it means to them to nail themselves to a cross? Where do they come up with that? It's religion. It's them trying to do something to show God that I'm like Christ and I'll, I'll be like Christ and I'll nail myself to a cross to be like Christ. I have news for them. God is up there saying, what are you doing? I already nailed my son to the cross for you so you don't have to die for your own sin. You see, on the religious road, on the accommodating road, on the wide road of salvation, it's, it's everyone trying to figure out, you know, if I pray to my ancestors... I just get a feeling that my ancestors hover over my house and I pray to them and it really helps me and they're going to show me the way. And And some people take it so far that they they carve out of wood and stone images that they name and they call gods or that represent and they cook food for it and the food sits there and gets cold and the thing doesn't eat it. But they somehow in their brain, they think that they fed their idol and they fed their God and, and they're just like... And it makes them feel good. That's religion. I'm doing something to try to please God or to try to think that I can get to God. People will will say repetitious prayers, counting beads, and and they'll go confess their sin to other people. And they will go through church ritual. Some people will knock on doors and give out little newspapers. And and if they knock on enough doors, they think that maybe they're going to make the top 144,000 that are going to get into heaven. And they've just made this stuff up. And it's the wide road. And that wide gate, just come do this. But where does it lead? It leads to destruction. There's no hope. It's just, I cannot jump high enough to please God or gods or whoever I've made up in my own thinking. Then you've got the narrow road. This unaccommodating gospel, this, this narrow, exclusive gospel. Jesus said it like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You could say that, I am the road, the way. The way, the wide way, the narrow way. I am the way, I am the road. Jesus said, I am the road, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the road, the truth, and the life. I was at a funeral not too long ago, and the pastor used that text, and he stopped right there. That's good. It's good, right? It's a good verse. Jesus said, I am the road, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Yes, we all feel good about that. He left the last half off. It's the part that gets us in trouble all the time. That's the part that says, "And no one comes unto the Father, but by me. there's the exclusivity. There's the narrow gate of salvation. And so Jesus is saying, like Peter preached in Acts four, and verse 12, a verse that we quote often, and Peter's preaching. And he's saying, "Look people, you got to wake up." Being in that context where he was preaching after Pentecost, he he was preaching to a group of people who thought because they were direct ancestors of Abraham, God would let them into their heaven, into his heaven. "I'm I'm a direct descendant of Abraham. I'm in the family, man." And and Peter confronts that with the narrow gate. And he says, no, you got to get off the wide road. You can't go through that wide gate. It leads to destruction. The narrow road is, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That is unaccommodating. That is narrow. When people don't like it and they look at you arrogant Christians, you make me so mad. You think that there's only one way to get to heaven, and I'm telling you, I'm doing all this. I, I'm good, I have God, this road is a good, wide road. Yes, it's a good, wide road, but it's going to end in destruction. And you can't do enough to, to please a holy, righteous God that you've offended in your, in your core sinfulness. But praise God that the narrow road is not religion, the narrow road is Christ Himself. Out of obedience to the Heavenly Father, humbling Himself, coming to the cross, nailing him, being allowed to nail, uh, allowing Himself to be nailed on the cross, taking the sin of the world upon Himself, and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Paying the price for our sin in the presence of Holy God. God is not impressed if you whip yourself. God is not impressed if you nail yourself to the cross. God is impressed that the one perfect human being who was God in the flesh himself, who kept the law perfectly, took the sin of the world upon himself, and now you have this free gift of salvation. So the gate is narrow. None of your baggage helps you. You empty yourself of yourself. That's the beginning of the Beatitudes. You come to a place where you mourn over your sin. Ha <laughs> ha! I've got this sin. I don't know what to do with it. There's only one thing you can do with that sin: you can take it to the cross and let it be covered by the blood of Christ. I've got this problem, this sin problem. The only thing you can do is by grace, this free gift. Take what Jesus did for you. He kept the law for you. It's like you're in baseball and. You have a pinch hitter comes in for you in your rotation and you're not running real well. So you got a pinch hitter and he hits a home run. And the coach says, hey, the good news for you is we're going to take that home run and we're going to put it on your stat count. You get to count that home run. Nobody gets to do that. You do when it comes to Jesus. He kept the law. He pleased God perfectly. He made the acceptable sacrifice on the cross and it can credit right to your account as though you kept the law, as though you were perfect, as though you already had paid the penalty for your own sin. Jesus just transfers it to you and you just come and you take that as a free gift. You believe it to be true, but only people who will believe that are broken people, people who mourn over their sinfulness, people who are humble, proud people never come to God like that. They think they're good enough. What do you mean? How much do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything. I want you to understand that you are just broken in your sinfulness. So I think that there's an application here directly of the two gates of salvation. I also think there's an application for discipleship. That is that you come to a place where you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're now going to be a follower of Christ, and I think that he's talking about his teaching here that applies to us. And the idea is that now that I I am... in Christ, and my sin is forgiven, and I'm identified with him, and his blood has cleansed me of all my sin, I'm a new creation in Christ, that there is a road of discipleship that I'm going to walk. I'm going to follow after Christ. And the problem with a lot of us, though, is that we want everything the world has on the wide road, and Jesus, too, on the narrow road. And we're not really willing to to take those steps of discipleship. There's a lot of examples of the hard teachings of Christ. You can turn two pages to Matthew chapter 10. And let's just look at one example. Let's just look at one example. And this is where Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles. He's sending them out to minister now. And um, he's empowering them and he's warning them. But there's an application to us as we live for Christ out in the world. Look at verse, beginning with verse 34, for example. He says to to him, okay, you're going to be my disciple. You're going to go represent me in the world. You're going to walk the narrow road. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? Well, we'll figure it out when we get there. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That's incredible. And we have case study after case study going on right now of persecution of believers where best friends and family members are slaughtering other people because they name the name of Christ. And Jesus said, you think I came to bring peace? My name is going to do nothing but cause division. What is that all about? And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Wait a minute. I mean, i got to love Jesus so much that it's, it's like I don't even love my father and my mother. Whoever loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think that's hard. I'm not even sure I really 100% understand everything Jesus is calling there. And the direct teaching is to his disciples, but it applies to those of us who are learners, that's disciples, followers of Christ, that's a disciple. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me and you're going to walk in my steps and you're going to identify with me, know that... It's a narrow gate, it's an unaccommodating gospel, it's a narrow gospel gate, but it's also a narrow road and I'm telling you it doesn't get easier the farther you go, but what you need to know is that at the end, ha, ah, it leads to life. And I think it's really interesting that in our discipleship or in, in for many of us, we imagine ourselves to be watch, walking the narrow road when really we're really in a pretty accommodating mode. It's not a whole lot of difference between us and the world. And maybe some of you, you've entered the narrow gate and, and you've looked over at the wide road and you remember what it was to be a wide road person and you missed the wide road. You don't want to be identified as narrow. Narrow sounds oldy, fogey, legalistic. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're following Christ, you are one of the narrow ones. You're just supposed to be a disciple. And in the New Testament, all people who enter the gate of salvation and name the name of Christ are called to be disciples. So it's not safe to have these two tiers of understanding. Like, okay, I got the salvation thing and I made it through the narrow gate, but I'm going to now live on the wide road really comfortably, but I'm going to end up at life. Because I'm not really into discipleship. I'm just into salvation. And we separate it out like being saved and being a disciple are two different things. Well, I think you grow in your knowledge. I don't think you understand at salvation when you came to a place of accepting Christ. I don't think you really know exactly what it meant to be a disciple in its entirety, probably. And you've grown in your understanding of that. And so, yeah, we grow in our sanctification and in, in our Christ likeness and in our commitment to discipleship. But there's no such thing as a believer in Christ in the New Testament who isn't a disciple. Born-again believers are disciples. And we're all to walk that narrow way. People of the narrow way. And, you know, we have this thing where... I see it at pastor's conferences even. In the last couple decades. It, it, you talk to a bunch of pastors. You get, pastors are an odd lot anyway. And you get a bunch of them together and you just have a room full of odd people... ...who live odd lives. And they're good guys, don't get me wrong, but... You know what, you want to you get them nervous? Start saying, you're really narrow, aren't you? Wow. You don't have a praise band? You're really narrow. Wow, you wouldn't go to an R-rated movie? You're really narrow. Wow, you don't, you don't drink alcohol and take pictures of it and put it on Facebook... ...so that everybody sees that you're drinking alcohol and that you're really not narrow? No, I don't do that. Really narrow. It really makes me feel uncomfortable to be narrow. Well, I'm called to be narrow. I'm called to offload a bunch of stuff from the old ways. And what, what we mean by that, a lot of pastors think, well, I might be considered a legalist if I'm narrow. Well, a legalist is somebody who's working their way to heaven. For their salvation. That's what legalism means. It means I'm trying to keep the law to get to heaven. That's what legalism is. But we've redefined it in our culture and in the last couple decades. We've redefined it to mean I am a little bit um, more comfortable with disobedience than you are. Or I'm a lot more, you're trying to be more obedient than I am. I'm uncomfortable with your commitment to obedience at your level. I think you're a legalist. So I don't get that. As I understand the word, and as I read the word, I'm supposed to obey it, and it's a narrow way, and I'm a narrow guy. You have a narrow pastor. You're narrow people. This is a narrow church. Narrow's good. I, I remember when I was in Mozambique for just a couple hours. I was in Malawi, Africa, the very first time, about 2003. And Yohani, and love, said, we're going to Mozambique tomorrow. So we go drive the... Truck down and there we come to this river and the river's like from here to Daniel Road. From here to Daniel Road out here. It's about how wide it is and it's just a muddy bank and there's no border patrol, there's no guards, there's no passports, there's nothing. There's some old wooden leaky boats with poles and some Africans that we could pay a, a couple American dollars to and they would pole us across this little muddy creek and we're in Mozambique. And we get out of the boat on the other side in Mozambique and Yohani whispers to me, he says, and there's a little path, there's weeds and there's a little path. And Yohani says, and you remember that Mozambique was in civil war in the 80s and this is in 2000s. He said, there are still many landmines. Stay on the path. I really stayed on the narrow path, man. <laughs> I was really into the narrow path. It's like, this is my path. Don't mess with me. I'm very comfortable. I don't want to go check out the scenery. The problem with so many of us in our discipleship, we we enter the narrow gate. We're okay with that. We got our ticket to have. As we're walking the narrow way, ah, we look over and we we think, man, I'd just like to go on on the wide road for a while. How do we apply this message? Two things. Number one, All roads do not lead to heaven, only the narrow road. Will you make sure you have that straight this morning? All roads do not lead to heaven, only the narrow road. That's the road that leads to life. All of the roads lead to destruction. Listen, all of this is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that He is who He said He is. And that He's accomplished His Finished work. His substitutionary death worked. It satisfied the demands of a holy God. So you have to ask yourself, am I on the narrow road today for my salvation? Or am I just kind of making up my system and God and I have an agreement? And we think we got it together. Can I challenge you this morning to ask yourself this diagnostic question? The question is, we use it often, we call it a diagnostic question if I were to die today and stand before a holy God and he were to look at me and say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer him right now? What would you say? Well, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm a good guy. I don't, I don't hate anybody. I'm, I'm, what, what do you think? Uh, man, I've been going to church all my life. What is it that comes to your mind? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? You know what? You know what needs to be there? I don't know what you just thought. The first thing that should come to your mind is kind of like the beginning of the Beatitudes. It's, I'm mourning and I'm humbled. And the first thing that comes to your mind, if God looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven is, well, the fact of the matter is I don't deserve heaven. I am such an offensive sinner. The second thing that comes to my mind is, but I've been to the cross. And the only way you should let me into, my, into your heaven is that I have robed myself in the righteousness of Christ. I've just accepted it by faith, by His grace, His free gift, that what Jesus did for me, carrying my sin, paid the penalty in your eyes, God, and now I'm identified with Christ. Is that you? Have you admitted your sinfulness to a holy God and you believe that what Jesus did at the cross was for you? And you're saved. You've made it through the narrow gate. Now it's time to walk the narrow road. And the second application is, first application of this message, all roads do not lead to heaven. Make sure you know that, but make sure the narrow road does. Second application is, once you're through the narrow gate is, yes, Jesus is out to ruin your good times. Did you hear Jesus say it was a hard road? It's a hard road. And the wide road is an easy road. And I'm worried a little bit about us. I worry that we get weary of the hard road. And we've already said that part of the response to the message is to recognize that I can't do this in my own strength. I have to do this in the, in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that the, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in my life, enabling me to be what I'm supposed to be, to deny the flesh that I used to let run rampant on the wide road and all the wide road living I used to do. Man, I didn't go to church on Sunday morning. I was still sleeping. I I go to the best parties. I can't really remember them, man, but they're good parties. And the wide road, and every once in a while in the core of your gut, you're on the narrow road, and you look over at the wide road, and you think, man, I'd just like to go for a day or two on the wide road. Don't do it. Just follow after. It's a hard road. And in a way, as you live this narrow life, and you go to the office, and they don't get you because you don't go to the places they go, and you don't see the movies they see. And you don't know the artists that they listen to. And you go home to your wife and you get it, And you have supper on the table at 5.30? Yeah, you know, I used to not be ordered in my life. But one of the amazing byproducts of knowing Christ was that he put an order in my life. And he put a love for my wife and a love for my kids. And, and I'm no longer over here doing that other stuff. And I'm, I'm putting that behind and I'm walking. And... It, I said, you, you don't believe that gay marriage is okay for, what are you, a Bible? Believe? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't believe it. And everybody's pointing at you. And you're on the narrow road. And he said, when I was on the wide accommodating road, nobody pointed at me. We just had fun, man. Well, enjoy yourself as much as you can if you're on the wide road, because that's it. That's it. It's a short-term pleasure road and it ends in destruction. And there's something about the narrow road. You don't have answers to all the questions. You're just following after Christ and you're trying to process the Word as He speaks to you and you've made it through the narrow gate and you're on the narrow road and you're growing in Christ's likeness and you don't have it completely together. But you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you have a clear conscience. And your bills are paid. And nobody's coming after you for debt. And you're not worried about little microorganisms that are flowing through your bloodstream because you've been with the wrong people. And you haven't knocked out your two front teeth on the cement planter as you came down the steps of the party and you don't even remember it till the next day and you looked and wondered why you were so bloody and your teeth were gone. That's living, man. That's wide road living. But there's something about the narrow road that the longer you walk it, the more you want to walk it, and the more you see God at work in your life. What road are you on? Have you let Jesus ruin your good times yet? You're trying to walk two roads at the same time? It doesn't work. And you know what? By definition, the hard road is a minority road. This is a majority road. This is going with the flow. That's not going with the flow. Let's pray. Um, I wonder if. You've entered into this exclusive gospel. Have you admitted your sinfulness before a holy God and accepted what Jesus did for you once and for all? I invite you into this narrow gate today. It's a joy-filled gate. There's nothing like having your sin forgiven once and for all. There's nothing like singing amazing grace and understanding it for real for the first time. There's nothing like looking down the road and knowing that this world's not your home, but heaven's waiting and all things are going to be made right in that day. Would you come in to the narrow gate today? You admit your sinfulness. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, that God raised Him from the dead. And you commit to that way. It's a free gift. You have to do it. It's a choice you have to make. It's a critical choice. The narrow gate versus the wide gate. Stop trying to do something to please God and, and just accept what Christ has already done for you as finished and complete and that He's paid the price for your sin. And then how about some of you who you know you're through the narrow gate? You've been a little hesitant about the narrow way lately. And you have been a little worried that Jesus is ruining all your good times. Will you embrace the narrow road? Will you you become a narrow Christian in a narrow church with a narrow pastor, with a narrow gospel, and have a big grin on your face? Because of the peace that passes all understanding, because of the joy of knowing that God is at work, that you're living in step with His Word and His will, And that the wide road, when you stop and admit it, didn't really work all that well anyway. Some of us narrow gate people need to really commit to the narrow road today. And some of the wide road people need to get off the road and come through the narrow gate. You know who you are. So Father, accomplish your purposes. Please challenge our hearts and clear our thinking. Change our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.